Okay, in the book of Galatians, we started this book last week, and we saw the Apostle Paul identifies himself as the author. He identifies himself as, he identifies, identifies the recipient of this letter as the churches in Galatia. We talked about how Galatia was a region, and this letter was being sent to all the churches within that region, um, and it was meant to be read aloud to them. And we also talked about, uh, Paul kind of gave a brief gospel message here in chapter 4, I mean in chapter, in verse 3 and 4, he says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul begins this letter with a little presentation of the gospel. We talked about what the gospel was. It's simply this, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he was rose again. We went to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 last week to kind of, Paul, Paul shows, it, shows that very simply to us there. And we talked about, we continued on in our study, and we saw that there's, Paul, Paul sort of, uh, he has a little bit of a rebuke for them. He says, he says, uh, in, in chapter 6, he says, I marveled that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So Paul's kind of rebuking these churches. He says, wait a minute, guys, you guys are turning away from the very gospel that saved you. And we dug into that, that a little bit. We talked about how the people in Galatia, well, they were kind of, kind of fickle people. They were always looking for something new, always looking for change. And what they had done and what, what was taking place is there was things being added to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Predominantly, it was works that needed to be done in the flesh, and then you could be saved. And Paul's going to spend this entire letter of Galatians refuting that. Paul's stance is salvation comes by grace alone. Amen? Aren't you glad that you don't have to do anything to be saved other than believe on Jesus Christ? But what was happening is Paul brought this gospel to the region of Galatia. There were some Judaizers, some Jewish folks who didn't like this gospel. So they would come behind Paul and they would tell him, hey, that's great, you believe on Jesus, but now you need to become circumcised. Now you need to keep the law. Now you need to do this. Now you need to do that. And they began to buy into this. So Paul's writing, the, writing them this letter to refute what is being told to them. And Paul goes as far to say, in, cha- in verse 9, I keep saying chapter this morning, we're getting a long way. In verse 9, he says, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. Previously, he said, I don't care if an angel teaches, changes the gospel. I don't care if I come back to you next year and give you a different gospel. Anybody that preaches any other gospel than simply Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again, anybody that adds anything to that, let them be accursed. Let them be accursed. So as Paul begins here in chapter 1, we talked about it. This chapter 1 is really going to, this, the, what we covered last week was kind of the introduction, and now Paul's going to get into his personal experience with grace. Chapters 1 and 2 are going to cover his personal experiences with grace. Chapters 3 and 4, he will present a doctrinal defense of his position on grace. And then chapters 5 and 6 will be the application of grace in your life. So this morning we're going to begin this look at Paul's personal experience with grace. And he does that in verse 10. He, he says this, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So at the end of basically telling them, anybody who preaches any other gospel besides what you've already heard, let them be accursed. Paul says, look at me. Look at my life. Let me ask you a question, he says. He says, am I here to persuade men or am I here to preach to God? Am I, am I pers- in other words, am, am I trying to please men or am I trying to please God? Well, in Paul's statement, that's what we would call a rhetorical question the answer would be considered obvious. The answer would be, no, Paul, you're not here to please men. But he clarifies it. He says, for if I still, which means he did it one time, if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So he asked this rhetorical question to them in this letter as they're reading it. The Apostle Paul would say, and you can, they have a personal relationship. They know him. They remember when he was there. And it's like Paul saying, hey, when I was with you, was I worried about pleasing men? Now, to us, we weren't there at that time. We don't exactly know know what took place at that time. We don't really realize that this is the area that Paul was stoned almost to death. You see, back in, in Acts chapter 14, let me just turn there. You can turn if you'd like, but you don't have to. 
I just want to read this to you. This is the area of Galatia. He's in a city called uh, Lystra. And in chapter 14, verse 19, then the Jews from Antioch, that's where he was, his home area, if you will, from Iconium, which is in Galatia as well, they came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So Paul was here in Lystra. He was preaching the gospel. The Jews that I was telling you were coming behind him. Well, now they confront him face to face. They drag him out of the city. They stone him. They think he's dead. They leave him around. The believers gather around, and it doesn't tell us they were praying, but I, I, I would hope that as believers, they're praying for Paul. Paul comes back. He's, he's back to life. He gets back up. And what does he do? He goes right back into the city. So when Paul says, am I here to please men? Their answer would be, no, of course you weren't pleasing men. They, men tried to stone you. You didn't care what man said. Man, was, man tried to kill you. So when he makes this rhetorical question to them, the obvious answer was, no, Paul, of course you're not here to please men. Paul asked the question, do I seek to please God or man? But we have to ask the same question. What about our lives? Do you seek to please God or do you seek to please man? Do I want to please God in my life or do I want to please man in my life? And by the way, pleasing yourself is not pleasing. That's a man too. But I want to, I want to put it to you this way. I think sometimes when you ask that question, do you please God or do you please man? Well, we say we want to please God as Christians, but I don't know that our life always looks like that. So I want to kind of just give you some ways to tell who, you're think, who, who, you, who you really are pleasing. Let's pretend you're at work. Let's pretend you're doing a really good job. And you're working for your boss and, and you say, I'm, I'm, I'm working for God. But really you're trying to please your, your boss. That's who you're, that's who you're pleasing. Well, how would I know the difference, Rob? Well, look at it this way. Let's say that you do, you're doing a really good job and your boss fails to tell you so. Or he, he, he kind of, or she kind of ignores it and doesn't really say anything. And doesn't really come to you and say, you know, you've really been doing a great job lately. How do you respond to that? I don't, your response will tell you who you're trying to please. If I'm trying to please God, I'm not worried about what man says, good or bad. But if I'm trying to please my boss at work, and they don't give me the praise that I think I deserve, or they don't, they don't offer me the recognition that I believe I've earned, what happens? Oh, I can't believe my boss, I didn't say anything. They, I, I did that extra thing last night, and I did that extra thing, and I did better than everybody else this month, and I got nothing. I got no recognition. That tells you who you're trying to please. It's simple. That's at work. It works the same way at school. It works the same way, let me put it to you this way, what about in a marriage? Are you trying to please God in your marriage? Or are you trying to please your spouse in your marriage? Or are you trying to please yourself in your marriage? Because it can really be any one of those three. If I'm trying to please God in my marriage, I'm going to live, I'm going to, if for me it's going to, I want to be a godly husband. For a woman it's, I want to be a godly wife. And I'm going to do these things that God calls me to do as a husband, or God would call a woman to do as a wife, regardless of how my spouse is acting. It wouldn't be, but if my attitude is, why should I do something for them? They don't do anything for me. Then I'm pleasing myself. It's all about me. But if my attitude is, I, wanna, I don't care how my wife treats me. I want to be the godly man that God called me to be. Then my heart is to please God. You see, and I think we go back and forth. I think we need to readjust our thinking sometimes because I think as Christians, we want to please God. And our heart is to please God, but we often fall into that trap of, well, I end up pleasing somebody else or I end up pleasing myself. And that's what I'm really looking for. And we need to kind of realign our perspective, if you will. What about at church? You can come to church and you can volunteer to serve and to do something. And you can come in here and, and do some incredible thing and, and I don't notice. And I don't say anything to you. And you get bitter. You go, well, I can't believe I, I, I emptied the garbage and he didn't even notice I emptied the garbage. He didn't even say thank you. He didn't, he doesn't, he didn't even know. Well, you're trying to please me, or you're trying to please somebody, or, or the ladies at church, they, nobody knows what I was doing. You see, if we're pleasing God, if that's our heart, we're not concerned what man says, good or bad about us. Now, it's great to get a compliment, but now let me put it to you this way. If in your heart, you want to please your spouse, if your heart, you want to please your, your boss, if in your heart, you want to please your teacher, if in your heart, you want to please these people, if you will please God, I promise they'll be pleased with you. 
If your focus will be to please God, everything else will be lined up with you. As Christians, when we go into the workplace, we should be the best employees there are. We should be on time. We should do our job. From, we should be not to be taking breaks. We shouldn't be, you know, the boss isn't here today. We're not, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, take an easy day. Why? Because we're working for God and God's with us all the time. And they, the bosses should be looking at Christians going, where can I get some more of you people? I need more workers like you. Not Christians that are going, well, the boss isn't here today, so I don't really care. Or my boss didn't recognize me this month, so pff, see if I do anything for him again or her again. Do you see how that attitude can affect us? Do you see how I can look at my attitude and say, who am I really trying to please? I think it's possible to say we want to please God, but really be focusing on ourselves or the other people in our lives. Paul said this, and he said it very, very clearly. He said, I don't please man. I'm not here to please man. I'm here to please God. And I would suggest to us, as Christians, as people who say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that my heart says, just like Paul's, I want to please God. All the other things will be added to me. I'll please my boss and my wife. I guarantee it. The closer I get with God, the more she loves it. For, your, for the women, the closer your husband gets to God, the more you're going to love it. The greater it's going to be. For your, for your employees, the, the more Christian employees you have that are really walking with the Lord, you're going to love having them. You can trust them. You don't have to worry about them. It'll happen naturally that way. But our heart should be to please God. If we please God, there's pretty good odds that our boss, our parents, our teachers, our church leaders, and friends will be pleased with us also. But there's a group. There's a group of people that won't be happy if your heart is to please God. They're your non-believing friends. They're your people that want to pull you away. They're the people that you're around when you get saved, and then they say, hey, come on, let's go do this thing or that thing. And you go, no, I don't think I want to do that anymore. They might not be happy with the fact that you're pleasing God, but that's okay, let them go. Don't follow them, let them go. If my heart is to please God, I'm not concerned what they're saying about me. If I have a group of friends that says, or even a spouse that says, I don't want any part of that, that's okay, let you, you please God. Let God work that out. You be the one that says, my heart is to please God. Don't be swayed into what a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a friend or a relationship says, this is what you should do. Have a heart that says, I want to please God and nobody else. That was Paul's heart, and he demonstrated that by the way that he lived his life. By the way that he lived every day. When he said that question, hey, am I here to please man or God? There was no questions. They weren't wondering. I don't know. What's the answer to that question, Paul? The answer was clear. They, they tried to kill him. He didn't care. He got back up and came back in the city because he wasn't done there yet, and he left the next day. I'm not, sneaking, I'm not sleeping outside. I'm staying there for the night. He got back up. So our heart should be the same thing. Please, God. Now, Paul says this. He says at the end of verse 10, if I still pleased men, which indicates that he did please man at one point, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. If I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Whoever you are seeking to please, whether it be another person or yourself, that person is your master. That is who you are under. Whoever you're working for, whoever you're seeking to please, and it can be yourself. There's a lot of people going through this life, it's all about me. It's all about me, all about me. I don't really care. I do what I want, when I want, how I want, and that's just the way it is. You're in slavery to yourself. You're in bondage to yourself. Whatever you want, you do. That's not, that's, you think, oh, that'd be a great way to live. No, it's really not. Because you, it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead you to destruction. Whatever we're Whoever we're seeking to please, that's who we're in bondage to do. Paul says, I'm enslaved to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in bondage to Christ. He uses the word bond slave there, bond servant. The, the, the Greek word is, is doulos. It, means, it literally means that a slave who has been set free, who has then chosen to stay under the master. It literally means a slave who has done his time as a slave. The master says, you are free to go, you are free to leave. And he says, no, I'm not leaving. I will forever be underneath of you. And there was a procedure, they would take him to a doorpost, they would drive an awl, which is a pointed object, through his ear, and they would pierce his ear, and that would be his, the indication that this man was a bond slave. That this woman was a bond slave. She has now placed herself willingly underneath of their master for the rest of their lives. What a picture of Christ. Isn't that what he asks us to do? Will you place yourself under Christ for the rest of your life? That's what, that's what he's asking. Will you be his bond slave? If you're going to be a bond slave of Christ, we can't be serving men. We can't be caring about what men think. I, 
trust me, I know we live in a culture where it matters what people think, but it shouldn't. It should matter more what, what Christ thinks. It should matter more what your Lord thinks than what, some, than what your neighbor thinks or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your whoever, whoever's in your life. It should matter to you a lot more that I'm pleasing to the Lord, that my thoughts are pleasing to the Lord, my actions are pleasing to the Lord, the things I do are pleasing to God, not pleasing to man. Now, he picks it up in verse 11. He says, but I make known to you, brothers, brethren, the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul says this, he says, the gospel that I'm preaching to you, this, this good news, that's what the word gospel means, this, this stuff that I'm preaching to you, he says, it's not according to man. This is not man's gospel, it's God's gospel. It comes from Jesus Christ. Man's gospel will always have emphasis on what man must do. Man's gospel will always have something that you must do. It always, it'll always have something that you have to achieve, something you have to accomplish. God's gospel says believe. The gospel according to the Lord is just believe on Jesus Christ. It's that simple. He's, Paul says, I didn't get this from man. It's not according to man. He says, I didn't receive it from any human sources. Paul says, I wasn't, then, now what he's not saying, don't, don't misunderstand this, he's not saying that nobody, that he didn't see the gospel being lived out. He's not saying that he didn't hear about the gospel from a human. Because I know for a fact Paul did hear about the gospel. I know for a fact he did because the Bible tells us he did. If you remember correctly when, uh, when Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 7. Let me just turn there real quickly. You can follow along if you'd like. Stephen was the first martyr in the early church. He was preaching. He was sharing. And he said this in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. This is the, the Jewish believers there. They gnashed at him with their teeth, which means that was, they weren't very happy with what he was saying. They didn't like the fact that he was sharing the gospel with them. He told them they were stiff-necked. He told them they were uncircumcised of heart. He told them they were rejecting the Holy Spirit. And verse 55 tells us, but he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped up their ears and ran, with, ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's Paul. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. He was both a Hebrew citizen and a Roman citizen. That's Paul. They laid down their clothes as Paul was consenting. That means he was important. He was somebody. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Verse eight, chapter 8, now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, there was great persecution arose among the church. The Apostle Paul is also known as Saul. Same person, Saul and Paul. Here we see in Acts chapter 7, if you want to go back on your own to the beginning of the chapter, you can see what got him so angry. But he was simply sharing Christ with them. He was simply preaching the gospel back from Moses, just sharing with them what, what God had done in the nation Israel. As he shares with them, he finally gets and he tells them they're stiff-necked. They've had enough. The religious people. This is the church, not the church, but this is, these are the religious leaders. We've had enough of what you're saying. We're going to drag you out of the city. We're going to stone you. And Stephen looks up at heaven. And he sees the, Jesus standing at heaven, standing at the right hand of the Father, not seated. He was standing, according to the Scriptures, waiting for him as he's being killed in the very moment of his death. Look what Stephen says. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on the Lord, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And verse 60 of chapter 7 says, Then Stephen knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, get these people for what they're doing to me. That's not what he said at all. He said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He said, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Paul was there witnessing that. Now, I have another opinion on the Apostle Paul. I think he met Christ face to face. Paul was a Pharisee. This isn't scriptural, it's not biblical, but it's my opinion. So you, can't, you can say you disagree and that's fine. 
But I think Paul being a Pharisee, being a religious leader, oftentimes the Pharisees confronted Christ. Oftentimes they, were, they, were, they wanted to know why he was doing something. I believe, in my personal opinion, at some point in the life and the ministry of Christ, in those three years he was ministering, I think Paul ran into him. I think they ran into each other face to face. I think they had a conversation. You can disagree, that's fine. But Paul is adamant, he's passionate, he's zealous about persecuting the church. Christ dies. He certainly would have known about the death of Christ. He would have, he would have been a Pharisee to vote on his death. He certainly would have known about the, the resurrection because it would have been told to them. They had to figure out what to do. He was a Pharisee. He was one of the leaders in Judaism. He was one of the Jewish leaders. I believe he would have been very intimate about the ministry, known intimately about the, he wouldn't have been intimate, he would have known intimately about the ministry of Christ. So here we see the Apostle Paul saying, guys, this gospel didn't come from man. I might have seen it lived out, but it came from the Lord Jesus Christ. I wasn't, he, he says in verse 11 and 12, I wasn't taught it. I wasn't instructed in it. He says in verse 12, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The saving gospel of Paul came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. It didn't necessarily come from what somebody said. Rob, why is that so important? Because I have to ask this question, is the saving gospel that you have, is it from Jesus Christ? Or is it just something that you've picked up along the way in your life? Is it just something you've heard a pastor say? Or a, a preacher on TV or something along the way? What, is, is it something that comes from God? Is it, some, is, it, is it a result of you learning about the Lord Jesus Christ going, yes, I believe that. Yes, I will live for that. Or is it something that you just said, well, sounds good to me. It's a lot better than the alternative. You see, if we make our decision to follow Christ based on logic, we're just looking at the, well, you're, you've laid out two choices. You've laid out heaven and you laid out hell. Well, I don't want to go to hell, so I want to go to heaven. And you've picked a choice. That's not from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's from somebody who's persuaded you with a good argument. You see, when you know that you've got the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something that happens in your heart. There's this peace that happens in your life. There's just, there's just something different that you begin to look at things differently. You begin to feel things differently. You begin to, it just, there's, you just, not that you don't ever have bad days, but you, your, your life is just all of a sudden different. Your, your, your attitude will start to change and you'll, you'll look at the word of God more intently going, oh, what is this? I want to understand this. I want to learn this. You'll find yourself showing up to church when you feel like you should stay home because you used to stay home. You'll find yourself doing things or thinking in ways you're like, well, that's not the way I used to think. That's how you know that you've got the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's something that's in you. It's not just something that you've heard me say or that you've heard somebody else say or that you've read in a book or that you've come across because my mom and dad always took me to church. You see, it's possible for my kids. I can't give them the gospel of Christ. They have to get it from him directly. I wish I could beat it into them. I'd try it, but I can't. I can teach it to them, I can show it to them, I can expose it to them. But it's a choice they have to make in their heart. They have to receive it from, the, from Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul's saying here. What I'm telling you guys, what I shared with you when I came to Galatia, I didn't share fancy words, I didn't share things from man. I'm sharing what God showed me directly. Now, he says, I received it by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's how you'll know the gospel that you have, does it have any strings attached to it? Is there anything attached to it? Is there anything, you know, here, here's what happens. I believe on Jesus Christ. I need to be a good Christian. Now I need to, is there something you need to do in your heart that, that you have attached to the God? I need to go to church every week. I need to read my Bible every day. I need to pray, pray before every meal. I need to be nice to people. I don't want to lie. I don't want to cheat. I don't want to steal. I need to get along with my wife or my husband. I need to get good grades in school. I need to provide money, income for my household. I need to cook for my family. I need to homeschool my kids. I need to do daily devotionals. Is there a list of strings attached to what you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Or can you rest in the fact that if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, I'm still saved? Because of what he did, not because of what I did. If I don't pray before every meal, if I don't do a daily devotion, if I don't pray for a week, if my heart is connected with his because of the belief on him, if I receive that gospel from him, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about it. Now, why do we do all that stuff then, Rob? Because we realize that we are saved. 
we realize what he's done for us, that's what makes me want to know him more. That's what makes me want to read my Bible. I don't read my Bible and study and, and preach messages for the paycheck every week. I don't. I don't get a paycheck from the church. I read my Bible and study and present a message to you guys because God shows me things, and I want to share what he's showing me with you. I want to say, hey, look, look what God showed me this week in the scriptures. Look what I learned. You know, it's, it's not a job for me. It's something I get to do. I can't, I, I'm, I'm blessed that God says to me, you can go teach, and people are going to show up and listen. I don't know why you guys are all here, but you come. And I, I will teach as long as you come. But it's, it's, it's a privilege for me to be able to get up here and share God's word with you guys in a practical way where it can apply to your life. I want to say this. Don't let anybody ever attach strings to your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone tell you if you've done this or you need to do that or you need to add this or please add that or no. Your relationship with Jesus Christ begins through His grace and His grace alone. He died on the cross for your sins. When you recognize that fact, welcome to the family of Christ. Welcome to the body of Christ. And He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead for us so that we would have proof that his penalty, his price, he took our, his sin, took our sins upon him. So don't let anybody ever attach anything to that. And I'm going to tell you the number one thing that happens is you begin to feel guilty when you do something wrong. You ever felt that way? You ever said something wrong, done something wrong? You just felt like, man, I've blown it. Man, I'm not even worthy to go to church this week. Man, I'm not even worthy to, God doesn't even want to hear from me in prayer. That's the biggest lie that's ever been told. God says, let me, let me say it to you this way, God doesn't love you more today than the day you were rejecting him. God's love for you has not changed. He loves me the same today as he did when I was denying that he existed. He loves you the same way today as a follower of Christ as he did before you chose to follow Christ. It hasn't changed. He's, the, he's still the same God. He's, and this grace that Paul's preaching and he's teaching is absolutely unbelievable. Don't let anybody ever, ever attach anything to it. And Paul says this. He says, let me prove to you. Let me prove to you guys that the gospel that I'm preaching didn't come from men. And he starts out in verse 13. He says, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. I tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul said, let me tell you a little bit about my life. As a matter of fact, you already know about my life. Paul said, you've heard about my former conduct. You've heard that I persecuted the church. I persecuted the church. Paul wasn't just against the early church. He persecuted them. It was common for him to go to the high priest get letters to be able to arrest Christians, men and women, bring them back in chains back to Jerusalem. That's what he did. He went Christian hunting. He'd get permission, he'd go out on the streets, try to find Christians, lock them up and throw them in jail. And when you run across somebody like Stephen, he consents to his death. That's the man that Paul was, or he was known as Saul, commonly as Saul. Paul's speaking of his pre-conversion life. He's persecuted the church beyond measure. Locking up Christians, standing by as Stephen was stoned. It literally says he tried to destroy the early church and he advanced in Judaism. Far above some of his contemporaries in my own nation. He was more exceedingly zealous. Now look what he was zealous for. For the traditions of my fathers. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He thought he was being zealous for the Lord, but he was being deceived. He was being zealous for tradition. Be very, very careful that, you're, that you don't become zealous for a tradition of a church or a tradition of your parents or a tradition of your fathers and then hinge your personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ on that tradition. You ever been to a church where there's a lot of tradition? Some churches have it. Some churches, we don't have a lot of tradition. Our tradition is we do four songs and I come up and teach the Bible. So we have tradition too. It's just a little different. But some churches are very steeped in tradition. The heart of most of those traditions are very good, I've got to tell you. But the problem is they become, the church becomes more about the tradition rather than the relationship. It becomes more about what we do rather than my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we have to be careful. If I decide one week to put worship at the end of service, would you be okay with that? No, you broke the tradition. We always do four. What if we do five songs? 
What if we only do three songs? It's okay. Our, our focus is not, on the, not on, the, on the system that we're using. Our focus is on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. So be careful. Paul's saying here, I was being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Simply put, tradition can't save you. Belonging to a church can't save you. Being a member in a church can't save you. Coming to sitting in the chairs in this church can't save you. What I say can't save you. I can tell you how to get saved. But it's your heart is what can save you. You see, the Lord's already done the work. You just have to believe in it. The moment you believe in it, that's when you become saved. Not by sitting in the chair watching or sitting in, the, in a pew or listening to a guy on TV or anything else. Salvation is something that happens between you and him. Paul says, I was zealous for the traditions of my father. But look at verse 15. Or Paul says, I was, I was the enemy of the gospel. Now he's preaching the gospel. Look at verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to, to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Look at those first few words. But when it pleased God. Paul says, but when it pleased God. Paul says, you know my former conduct. You know how I persecuted the church. But when it pleased God, timing is important with God. Timing matters with God. There's no such thing as coincidences. Paul says, when it pleased God, and then he makes a statement, who separated me from my mother's womb. He's identifying the fact that God was working in his life from the moment he was born. God was the one who separated him. God was the one who was there for his birth. God was the one who brought him into this life. When it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and he called me through his grace. It pleased God. God's timing is the timing that we want. God's timing is more important than our timing. You know that? I I wish God would follow my timing sometimes, but I'm really glad that he doesn't, because I know that he knows a lot more than I do about my life. But his timing is more important. And I say that to you because I often hear this complaint. I wish I would have come to Christ sooner in life. I wish I would have come to Christ sooner. I wish I would have come to Christ a little before. It wasn't your time. It wasn't God's time. Paul came to Christ when it pleased God. When it was the perfect time. Because God had the perfect plan laid out for Paul's life. When it was, time, when it was God's time, Paul came to Christ. Paul believed on Christ. And then Paul realizes, wait a minute, God's been doing something in me all along. Yeah, I've been, as, as we would read in, the, in Acts, if we were to go there, I've been kicking against the goads or kicking against what God was trying to do. I've been resisting what God was trying to do. But at the perfect time, God's sovereignty prevailed, and it happened. He called me. He called me through His grace. He summoned me. He summoned me. What a, picture, what a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty and human choice happening at the same time. When it was God's time, God called what does it mean to call somebody? It means to summon you. It means pick up your phone and call somebody. Do they have to answer? No, they have a choice. They can make a decision. Am I going to answer or not? Depends on who it is. Depends on what I'm doing. Depends on if I feel like talking to them. God calls. Paul answers. But notice he calls through his grace. He calls through his grace. God says, Paul, you know, let's go there. Let's go back to Acts. Let's look at God calling the apostle Paul. Acts chapter 9. Follow along with me as I just read this. Picking up in verse 1. This is Paul being called by the Lord. This is what he's talking about when it pleased God. Then Saul, or Paul, Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. You can see what kind of guy he was. He went to the high priest. He asked for letters from him, so that, from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were among the way, that's Christians, whether man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from the heaven. Then he fell down to the ground 
He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice Saul's persecuting the Christians. The voice from heaven says, why are you persecuting me? You know, as a believer in Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? He said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, the Lord's saying, I've been doing something in your life and you're resisting it. So he, being Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the question we need to ask the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm done resisting. I'm done kicking against the goads. Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, I bet, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and he when, and when he did, his eyes were opened and he saw no one. He was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was, there, he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Paul's trying to figure out what just happened. He meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus through a bright light. He goes blind, asks him, you know, Lord says, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? I'm Jesus. Why are you kicking against the goads? What do you want me to do? Go into the city. Now look what happens next. Verse 10, and now there was a certain disciple of, at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So let me just get your attention. What, what he, what he's, what's going on is Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, sends go on into the city. Paul goes into the city. He, he's spending three days fasting. He's not eating or drinking anything. At the same time Paul's there, the Lord speaks to Ananias, calls him by name. Ananias says, what do you want, Lord? He said, hey, there's a guy in the city. His name is Saul of Tarsus. He's waiting for you. He's had a vision. He wants, he's waiting for a guy named Ananias to come to him. Now look at Ananias' response. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Do you get the complaint? Lord, I know who he is. We know that he has authority to, to arrest us. And you want me to go talk to Who? Are you crazy? Look what the Lord says. The Lord said to him in verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias went his way and he entered the house and laying his hands on Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as he came has sent me to you that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. He arose and was baptized. So when he received food, he was strengthened. Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus and immediately he preached the Christ, in the, preached the Christ, which is Jesus Christ, in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Everyone who heard was amazed and said, isn't this the one who destroyed those who call in the name, of, name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and he confounded or confused the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. He confused them. He confounded them. So just that's Paul's conversion. It's, it's done in at least several other places, three or four other places in the scriptures. Paul repeats. That's his testimony. That's how he got saved. That's, that, that's where he got saved from. So when we go back to Galatians and we hear the Apostle Paul saying, hey, I didn't get this from man. I think he heard about it from Stephen. I think he heard about it from others. But that was his personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to go into the city and then someone's going to come meet you. And then the man comes to meet you. That's, what, that's, that's exactly what's taking place here. So when we read this, but it pleased God, we can say at the perfect time, Paul was led to Christ. It was the same thing was true for you. Don't ever look back and say, oh, I wish I would have done it sooner. I wish I would have made it sooner. No, it was at the perfect time when it pleased God. 
who separated you from your mother's womb and called you through His grace to reveal His Son. And notice this in verse 16. And Paul's saying this, to reveal His Son in me. If you have a Bible, circle that word in. It's important. It doesn't say to me. It says in me. The whole reason that Christ has been revealed to you is so that Christ can be revealed in you. That's so other people can see Christ in you. That's the purpose of your salvation. Is Yes, it, it's, it, Christ gets revealed to you. He resides, he resides where? He resides in me. Why? So that I can live a happy life? No, so He can now use me. He's been revealed in me. He's been not, not just necessarily to you, but you want Christ to be revealed in you. Great thing to pray, by the way. You say, hey, I don't know what to pray for. Pray the Lord would, re- would, would be revealed in you. Pray that people that work would see Christ in you. Pray your neighbors would see Christ in you. Pray that the people at church would see Christ in you. That's a novel idea. Pray for the people that your, your husband or your wife would see Christ in you. Your friends would see Christ in you. It's a good, good, it's a good thing to pray. But he says this. He called me through His grace to reveal His Son, Jesus, in me. Why? For a purpose. That I might preach Him among the Gentiles. Follow this thinking. At the very perfect time you get saved, Christ is revealed to you so that God can reveal Christ in you to do what? To do what? We're not all called like preachers like Paul, but we're all called to something. We could read this for our own, our own self. But when it pleased God, this is about me, but when it pleased God who separated Rob from his mother's womb and called Rob through his grace to reveal, Rob, to reveal his son in Rob, that Rob might preach him among the people in Cumberland. We could put ourselves in there. But, but the last line there, among the Gentiles, you have to fill in your story. That, that's your life. That's your story. That's where you get, to, you get to write that story. That's where you and the Lord Jesus Christ write that story. To Paul, it was among the kings, among the Gentiles, and among the house of Israel. But we get to write the story. What is it that he, what is it, why is Christ being revealed in you? Another great question to ask in prayer. Lord, I want, to be, I want you to be revealed in me. But what do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? Great questions. Now, he says this, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to, to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. This doesn't mean I didn't tell anybody. I kept it a secret. But what it means, it doesn't mean like, hey, I got saved. That wasn't a secret. But what it means is Paul, the moment he received Christ, the moment he got saved, he didn't run out and start a preaching tour. He didn't run, over, run right to Jerusalem and, tell, and give, uh, give Peter and John and I a piece of his mind and tell them what's going on. He didn't do that right away. He, he, he pulled away for a period of three years. And he went and spent time with the Lord quietly. He spends time quietly. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. I like that. Can I tell you that if the Lord reveals something to you about your future, don't go immediately conferring with flesh and blood on it. Don't go telling everybody what you're going to do, what you're going to become. What, don't, don't, don't just run out and say, oh, the Lord showed me that I'm going to be a pastor someday in 37 years. You know, or I'm going to be a husband, or I'm going to be a wife, or I'm going to... No, no, no. If the Lord reveals something to you, whether it be through Scripture or however He does it, if, he, if, if there's something placed on your heart and you feel like God's pulling you in a direction or leading you to do a certain thing, let it rest for a while. Let it be between you and Him. Meditate on it. Pray about it. Spend some time. Paul spent three years. We like to think that Paul became this great preacher, great pastor, wrote half the New Testament for the first 14 years. He didn't do much of anything. He was just Paul. Sure, he preached when he could and he taught when he could, but he just he let the Lord work in him. That's the important thing. He says in verse 18, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. It took him three years to get there. They were probably scared to death of him still. I went up to see Peter, and I remained with him 15 days. But I saw no one other, saw none, none, none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Note, note the apostle Paul recognizes that Jesus had a brother. None of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Paul said, I'm telling you the truth. Afterwards, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. They didn't know me by face. They only knew me by, knew me by name. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Paul says, people didn't even know me, but they heard about me. They heard about me. And then they said, 
the guy who used to persecute the faith, the guy who used to persecute the church, is now preaching salvation, now preaching Christ crucified. The same guy. They heard about what was taking place. They heard about the change in the apostles' Paul life. They didn't even know who he was. But the change was so incredible, they couldn't stop talking about it. Brings me to my last question for you today. What are people saying about your life? What do they talk about? What do they say about you? People that you haven't seen for 10 years, 15 years. You tell them what's going on. They hear about something. What do they hear? Do they hear nothing's changed or do they hear, wow, they've really changed? I've got to share this story. I, I've shared it a couple, I think a few months back. Back in November, I was in Florida. I, I, just, I just love this story about my life. I was in Florida, and down in South Florida, they have, they have what's called the Florida's Turnpike, and they have those service plazas in the middle, like northbound lane, southbound lane, service plaza in the middle, and I stopped in one of those service plazas, and I was by myself. Stopped to use the bathroom and get something to drink, and halfway across the service plaza, I hear some guy yell, Rob! I'm like, who is it? I look, and it's, it's my friend Walt. I said, Walt, how's it going? You know, we worked together. We worked in a violent crimes task force together years, years before, you know, walk up, say hello, you know, how's things going? And, you know, I said, well, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm going down to Miami. I'm working on this FBI task force down there that, you know, I got to help out. Bob tells me the whole story. And he looks at me, he goes, so what are, you, what are you doing down here? I said, I'm on vacation. He goes, vacation? What do you mean? I go, yeah, I'm, I'm not a police officer anymore. He goes, what, what do you mean? I said, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I, I pastor a church up in Cumberland, Maryland. He looks at me, he goes, you? Like, really? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, he's like, and he, you know, he's like, oh, that's great, you know, not really kind of knowing what to say, but, but I thought, man, that speaks a lot of, of, of the change that's happened in my life over the years, you know, I mean, he, he, and he said, I didn't mean to say it that way, I didn't mean to say you, like, like, I can't believe you, I said, I understand, Walt, it's okay, you know, so we talked for another 10 or 15 minutes, and, and he went on his way, but the question that I asked is, is what are people saying about your life when they hear about, are they, are they, are they surprised, are they shocked, are they you know, are they, is, there, is there a testimony that's taken place? Paul shares his testimony all the time. Do we have a testimony? Remember, your testimony begins the moment you get saved. We can all talk about how bad we were and how the things that we did wrong, but what has God done since you got saved? Where, where has he taken you from the moment you got saved? Because I've been to those conferences where you have a guy come up and he was so horrible and he was in the mafia and he shot people and he did this and this and he talks for an hour about how bad he was. He goes, oh, and then I got saved. You're like, well, what happened next? Well, I went on a speaking tour, and I walk around and tell everyone how bad I was. Well, I don't care about how bad you were. I want to know what has God done since the moment you got saved. That's, where, that's, where, that's the story. That's the testimony. We can all talk about how bad we were, but there's also something, too, and just as we, when we give a testimony, we don't want to focus on how bad we were. Sometimes there's, a, there's another side of this. There's some. There's a, there's a few that feel like, and, and I hope you understand what I mean by this, well, I don't really have a testimony. My testimony's boring. I got saved when I was young, and I, I, didn't, I didn't do all those things. I didn't really do all that. So can I, can I just say that's not a boring testimony at all? It's a beautiful testimony. It's the best kind of testimony. My parents taught me. I followed Christ. That We need to hear more of those testimonies, not like, oh, how bad I was. We like to glorify the person that, you know, I, I heard somebody one time sharing, and, and it, was, it was a time of testimony, and somebody had come up, and they shared about how bad they were and how they got saved, and everyone was amazed. And then another person, I think it was, uh, might have been on the radio one day, I don't remember where I heard it, but a lady came up and she was talking about, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I was talking about who she was and then about how she was selfish and always thought of herself and then she turned five, you know, and then she accepted Christ. And I was like, she had us all going, you know, believing like how bad she was and she was like, well, then I turned five years old and I've been saved ever since, you know, and she's like, my testimony is kind of boring. I said, and I was thinking it's not boring at all. I mean, what a beautiful testimony for a child to come up and say, now I'm an adult, and I never walked away from the Lord. I never, I never did those things, you know? But when we share our testimony like the Apostle Paul does all the time, you know, it's, it begins the day we get saved. It's okay to allude to how bad you were, but if you do that, make sure you tell them how empty you were at that time too. You know, make sure you don't glorify the sin and not be honest about the emptiness that went along with it. Because then you're, you're doing a disservice you know, you, you're looking back to Egypt kind of thinking, oh, that was a good time. It really was. And if it was, you'd still be there. But we're not. So Paul ends up this way. He says, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith 
which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. I pray that people can look at our lives and glorify God. Not because it's something we've done, but because it's something that he has done in us. Just as a review this morning, who are you seeking to please? Is the gospel that you have from God, or is it from man? Remember that is God's timing more important than yours? Is Christ being revealed in you? And what are the people hearing about your life? There's five questions there that will give you a good indication if you'll ask them honestly to yourself, where am I at with the Lord? Where am I at? You know? And I want to say one more thing, and we're going to close with this thought. When I say that, it, you know, is Christ being revealed in your life? If you say, I don't think so, I want you to go ask somebody that you're close to. I want you to go ask your wife or your husband, and I want you to ask them, hey, do you see the Lord working in my life? See what they say. Because here's what happens. Oftentimes, we don't see it happening in our own life. When it's really the Lord, we begin to change, and we don't think we're changing. You'll know it when your friends say something. You'll know it when your husband or your wife says something. So don't always do this sort of evaluation on yourself by yourself. Ask the people that you're closest to. Have you seen a change in my life in the last year? Have you seen something different in me? Let them answer it, because chances are a lot of times, and at least in my life, the Lord has worked very slowly over a long period of time. I never had one of these big come-to-Jesus moments where, you know, I'm come to Jesus and, everything, and everything's fallen off and I'm no longer cursing and drinking and it's all gone. I didn't have that. In my life, as I began to slowly follow the Lord, I was skeptical. I had questions. As I began to seek the answers and I began to get the answers, the Lord worked and He started changing me a little bit at a time. A little here, a little there. And chances are that's what He's doing with you guys too. Because most of the people that have the big come to Jesus thing, they don't last very long. Because something happens in their life and you find them right back to where they were. Because Jesus didn't do what they wanted Him to do. But if we will yield ourselves to the Lord and allow Him to reveal Himself in us, you will be absolutely amazed at what He does. You will be blown away And all the people that we try to please will be well pleased with us if we will just put the kingdom of heaven first. Put the kingdom of God first. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. And everything else will be added to us, the scripture says. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the breakfast that we're about to enjoy. We thank you for the gathering this morning. And Lord, I just have to say thank you for your grace. Thank you that it does not depend upon us. Father, would you continue to open our eyes? Open our eyes to that grace. May we just know. May we just know that we're saved. May, we just, may, may the enemy not steal that, that away. May we just walk in that grace every day, Lord. May we remind ourselves that when we wake up this morning, we're walking in grace. Thanks for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.